Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website, in our third, and broadcast much later than we'd planned, installment of my conversation with Graham McMillan, we discuss Batman and Robin, Joe the Barbarian, Day Tripper, Flash Rebirth, and the penultimate issue of Blackest Night, among others. Our hope is future podcasts will be edited and broadcast in a more timely manner, but we hope you find something here to enjoy regardless. Thanks for listening. Okay, so, um, okay, so I'm going to mention some comic book titles. I, I like then... how, I like the way you're, you're phrasing this as if it's going to be some sort of, like, quickfire rounds. I'm going exactly. to mention some comic book titles, and you can see whether you've read them or not. Exactly. Uh, Batman and Robin, issues 7, 8, and 9. 7 and 8, yes. I haven't read 9 yet. Oh, you haven't. So, nope. you so have I, the whole... I don't I don't know how it ends. Mm. I have to say though, I've been really disappointed in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I'm wondering whether I'm going to be ultimately because I was also very disappointed in issues four through six until I read them in a oneer, and then I had a completely different experience. Oh really? And yes. that experience was not you wanted to cut out your eyes with like a piece of glass. That experience was after the initial shock of Philip Tan's art, realizing what the story was like and thinking it was a better story than the first three issues. Huh, interesting. I thought it was, what did I think? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I felt that 7, 8, 9 were in many ways very satisfying. Um, so you might feel the same. Like, I think I think these, these arcs that Morrison's doing probably benefit from reading, being read all as a chunk. Mm-hmm. But I, I do also feel that his Batman and Robin run is really pushing the envelope in terms of what I can enjoy without actually liking, you know? I think that's... Yeah, I definitely get that. I'm finding his Batman and Robin very light. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of me feels that I should enjoy that more because I'm not a fan of, you know, heavy, dark, I'm depressed Batman. But at the same time, I'm finding it sort of weightless... Uh, without quite really quietly has been the only one who's really amazed me on the art i love cameron Stewart's art and i don't love it here for some reason well i think in some ways it almost feels like he's too um beholding to quietly i feel like there's points where his art feels more like um he's trying to do a dutiful i'm fitting in with what quietly's done rather than, like, I'm doing my own take on things? Like, he's trying to get yeah, some I, consistency? I, it, it seemed too mannered and, and too, um, I don't know, just too nervous, especially compared with Seaguy uh, or Sintichuo. I mean, his webcomic is, I mean, his webcomic's a different style. Oh, yes. But, um, but it's, I don't know, there's something really um, tight in a bad way. About, too tight. Yeah, his characters about, about, are all kind of too tiny, aren't they? Yeah, and there's just, it just, it doesn't work. And also, I think one of the things that I didn't really particularly like about 7 and 8, and like I said, I haven't read 9 yet, is the Batwoman thing seems both gratuitous and just horribly mishandled. I mean, I don't I don't know why she's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't seem like the Rucka version of the character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's just weird. <laughs> it, it it kind of throws me out of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it seems very 
old-fashioned Marvel. Yes, you know? that's part of I, what I, I like I, about it. Yeah, I but just yeah. to run into Bad Woman here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I loved was the revelation about who the Batman corpse was. Yes, yeah, that I was loved pretty that. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. it's such a ridiculous continuity. Count out. <laughs> I mean, really, but I I loved it because I totally didn't see that coming. Yeah. And it also made complete sense when he said it. When when they revealed it, you're like, of course. Right. You know, I I knew they were doing that, so why not? And it Mm -hmm. it makes – it answers one of the nagging questions since Final Crisis. Yeah. Um, But it just – it just seems kind of flat. It it isn't making me particularly happy. Mm -hmm. No, I I totally get it. Like I said, enjoyed it but didn't like it. So I I put down issues 7, 8, 9, and I'm like, wow. That's that was like, that was a comic. Yeah, well, no, but I mean, even like that was a good comic. Like you know, like this was good. This is also like I don't like it. Like I don't know how to describe it. Like I'm enjoying it. I'm not liking it. It's there's like bits and pieces of what Morrison's doing. I feel like I can see what he's doing thanks to the miracle of people like David Uzumari. I even have things that I can be super enthusiastic about looking at and enjoying um and yet at the same time at the end of the day i'm like i kind of wish morrison was doing something else i kind of wish batman was doing something else and it just it feels really underpowered to me like or not underpowered it feels everyone feels underutilized everyone at every step of the way pretty much you know Um, yeah it it constantly feels like half a comic mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and I don't know if that's, you know, again, Morrison angling for his attempts at compression um, or if, again, there's kind of that feeling of it's it's a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle thing. So like something like the the revelation of who the Batman corpse was made those, you know, made that issue where it comes up or basically where Morrison's setting things up feels like half a story and then you get the other half later and i'm not sure that it feels like a full story at that point either you know what i mean yeah no exactly you just kind of can go oh well i have to admit he certainly knew what he was doing but you know exactly i'm glad he did yes exactly but Uh, but exactly that that's kind of how i'm feeling uh and so as a as a segue joe the barbarian Issues uh, for, one and two. First of all, hey, look at that quote in the cover of issue two. Yes, I appreciated it. Well, why is that me? I think it is. Um, and just to toot my own horn a little bit more, it's really fucking weird when you don't know that is coming and then you pick it up in the store. That must have been it's really, awesome. It's really weird because you're kind of like, wait, is that me? It is. <laughs> oh, fuck. And you get like weirdly embarrassed. You're like, oh, um great i feel like i can't buy this now and it's not as if like my name is on it but i was like they'll magically know yes well okay would you have been more pleased or less pleased if it had been graham mcmillan ionine um let's see given my situation now i would have rather it had been my name (laughs) i can see that okay um I don't know. I've, I've gone back and forth. The first time I got cover quoted and it was a Zionine, I was kind of like, God damn it, I wish it was my name. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really bother me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just kind of weird. The, the one time it's been funny is there was one that I'm sure I didn't write, but I can't think who would have written it. And I'm like, I'm sure that's not me. I can't think who that was. But... <laughs> 
well, wait, what are you talking about here? That sounds really interesting. Oh, it's a... Uh... I want to say it was a Green Lantern quote or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a, definitely a DC Comics one. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm sure it's not me. <laughs> but I can't think who it is. You, do you think they, they like cheated and pulled some like comment no, off somebody's I, no, article I'm, or no, something? No, I'm thinking it might be Alistair. But I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are you looking yeah. it up or no? Uh, I, I don't have the thing close by, otherwise I would. Okay. Um, but no, um, the Joe, Joe the Barbarian, I really liked the first issue and I thought the second issue was really slow. However, if Sean Murphy and Dave Stewart keep giving us that art, I would honestly buy a series of them just doing pinups. I, I am really blown away by the art and also kind of surprised that no one else has pointed out that it's really like Chris Bacalow when he was doing Shade the Changing Man. Oh, that's a great comparison. It's really like him when he's doing Shade the Changing Man, especially around the issues where it became a vertical title. Mm-hmm. It's 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 almost identical. Yeah, I think that that's great. I kind of had this feeling of like, yeah, this is reminding me of something, and I couldn't I couldn't pin down what it is, but I think that's a great comparison. Um, it also actually, in some ways, reminds me of, uh, and this is going to sound really dumb, but um, Power Pack. Weirdly, you know, um, I, I almost want you, to say... You clearly don't mean art-wise, so what do you mean? No, I, this is going to sound weird. You do? Weird. Well, okay, it's, it, uh, I, I think I figured it out. It reminds, not so much Power Pack, but um, when Walt Simonson was doing art for Marvel in the 80s in a much faster style, like it reminds me of his X-Factor, and I thought he did some Power Pack. That's going to sound really weird, but the, the way the characters are... Um, like they somehow managed to not have a lot of weight, but they still managed to seem very distinct from their backgrounds. Yeah. You know? Yes. So they're, they're, it's it's just beautiful, beautiful art. It, it's uh, it's sort of thing where you think this has to make his name. Like if he does not become a star from this, I I give up on comics because it's just and it's the strangest thing because uh, I first saw it. Uh, I got a, a black and white copy from DC. Mm-hmm. And so I, I saw it before the, the Dave Stewart colors were added. And the Dave Stewart colors are wonderful. But um, in the black and white, what really stood out was in the first issue, there are two. Um, I think one is a double page spread and one is a, a splash. Mm-hmm. Uh, establishing shots where there are trees in the foreground. And his trees are what made me like, are what I noticed first of all. <laughs> Honestly, his trees. And I was like. That is like the best drawing of a tree I've seen in a comic book ever. I love this art, and I can't explain it. It's it's wonderfully it, it's um it's both stylized and observed, which yes. I really like. I'm I'm actually looking at the uh, the tree in the graveyard. Uh, yes, the and, there, and there's there's another one where um the bus is going home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's and it is. I totally see what you're saying. It it is like you said, incredibly stylized, and yet also. Um, I mean, just beautifully observed. Yeah, very it, much. It, I, I, it's quite clearly not a cartoony tree, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's also not a realistic tree. It's it's, it's such a a, a well done. Uh, it, it walks the line so well. It, it's just right. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I, I think I think the art is what really sells the series because, especially in the second issue, again, the writing is really light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I think this is something that Morrison's been doing a lot lately, which is. He's writing in shorthand, but shorthand for him. Mm-hmm. 
he's he's relying so much on the artists to make it work on everything he's writing these days. Right. Right. Um, we- which which never used to be the case. I mean, when Morrison first, especially when he first broke into American comics, he got artists who, um, to be polite, were not the best artists for him. Artists that he could not carry the weight that he was trying to get over in his stories. And so he had to do more in the writing. I agree. And, and since he's been getting better and better artists, it feels like he's been pulling back more and more, which on one hand, good for him, let the art breathe. And on the other hand, I kind of feel like it's like... Hello, Grant. We're not even at the 30-minute mark. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you not hear me? Yeah, you suddenly dropped right out. In... Damn it, you missed, me. you missed me saying that I thought Grant Morrison was getting lazy. <laughs> this was also one where the god of Skype went, no, you shall not say that. Well, I'm saying it anyway. Lazy. Lazy Grant Morrison. Lazy. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've kind of felt that way of course, for I think I've been bitching about that forever because I do feel like his stuff is more lightweight. What I'm fascinated by is the, Joe the Barbarian reminds me of it's like to me it's like the flip side of um, of uh, of uh, We Three actually. Um, really, in, in what sense? Uh, in the sense that We Three is well, it's super compressed. It relies on the art. Well, actually, Joe the Barbarian is not super compressed, so that's a huge difference. But um, the 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 writing almost seems lighter, but also I kind of just got a sense of the this would make an awesome movie kind of feeling to it. Like Joe the Barbarian very much has the feeling of, in the same way that We Three is kind of this perfect, like, oh my God, why haven't they made a movie of this yet? I kind of have the feeling that Morrison kind of feels that way about joe the barbarian like joe Joe the barbarian feels um like a movie pitch yes it feels like a script treatment that is being given super super awesome art yes but even as it's happening i'm like man i can just about hear the dreamworks you know style soundtrack in the background for some of the bits and pieces and beats on this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And whereas the weird thing is, is of course with we three, I was like, dude, do it, please make it happen. I, I want to see that even while I'm completely enjoying what I'm reading at the same time, Joe, the barbarian really kind of has that feel of the art is super carrying this. I kind of have some faith that we're going to end up somewhere kind of interesting. Um, but it also doesn't feel new. And to be honest, I didn't think that we three felt that new either. It just was very clever in the way that it put its conceits together. Um, I had the weirdest sense of deja vu while reading the, particularly as we, I got toward the end of the first issue of Joe the Barbarian of like, wasn't this like a, a JMS uh, story or like a Neil Gaiman Sandman story, or I it's it's very Gaiman. It's mm-hmm. the first issue, especially. Yeah, maybe that's it. But I just really had the weird sense of deja vu of like this exact trope has been used and reconfigured before, um, and it's just uh, you know the advantage is seeing really watching this artist just go to fucking town with it, um, and and whether or not you know, Morrison's really going to be able to, to make it stand out from, you know, what, whatever I'm half recalling or whatever I feel that Gaiman would do with it or Straczynski would do for it. I guess we'll kind of have to see. 
what made me very nervous about the second issue was it felt like it was playing for time. And I all through that all throughout the second issue, I was like, no, something should be happening. It's the second issue. It's too early to be be vamping. Right. Well, it's kind of interesting. Didn't wasn't that one guy pilloried on the internet for kind of saying that he felt the first issue was like vamping? The first issue is like kind of vampy, but oh, but also, I mean, that was just an appallingly bad review. Well, um, yeah. uh, it, oh, it was terrible. Um, but the second issue, I mean, the second issue really is vamping. Nothing much happens in the second issue at all. The first issue, at least, you have the sort of defense of uh, their setup. The second issue, I, I felt, was just like. Um, here's something to stop the story really progressing. Uh, well, uh, maybe. I, I actually kind of felt like, okay, you've got your supporting character introduced, there's a, there's a big action scene, um, there's kind of, uh, there's kind of the epic fantasy ebb and flow kind of thing of like, they're in trouble, then they escape, then there's moments of reflection, then there's the landscape, um, I kind of see where he's getting that whole like, oh, this is like Lord of the Rings meets Home Alone angle for it, and I think there's something, there's something that's both kind of clever about the idea of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, this whole massive idea of a, um, a you know, of a huge fantasy world, those maps, you know, those enormous fold-out maps that you have sure. in Lord of the Rings books, except it's really this kid's house. Um, I kind of both thought that that was like kind of clever and maybe in a way it's sort of undercut because, you know, the artist is so well done, uh, does the art so well that you, you actually have to think that the, the house is a more interesting character than the fantasy land that he's sprawling through, you know? Um, I, I think you definitely got more from it than I did. I, I, I was, I loved the first issue. Absolutely mm-hmm. adored it. I thought it was, spectacular debut and i i felt really let down by the second well it may just be a uh, um i don't i don't know if i got more from it i think again it's that weird thing of if you read the two issues back to back for the first time you might get a completely different experience of you read issue one you wait 28 days and then you read issue two and you're like huh that really didn't go anywhere like I kind of felt that way about issue one and two, but reading them side by side, I kind of had more of a feeling of it's sort of vamping at about the same pace in both issues, you know, when you read them side by side, you know, there's no, um, there's no uh, elasticity and diminishment of expectation, you know, between issues or whatever. So, Um, okay. Uh, What did you think? Yes. I was going to throw one to you. Have uh, you been please. reading? Have you been reading Day Trippers? I have not. I think you're missing out. I, I think uh, I think Vertigo is undergoing a really quiet renaissance right now. I think there's some really good stuff coming out of Vertigo, but I think Day Tripper is one of the best. I think Day Tripper is just really, really well done and magical realism in a way that Vertigo doesn't normally do. Magical realism without the cutesiness. It's it's. There's a, and maybe th- this is just completely me being personal tastes, but there's a sort of adult melancholy about it that completely bypasses like a cutesy Sandman, you know, elves and shit. Right. Um, it it feels like the work of people who have actually had a life. That would be great. Um, and and had a life that isn't, you know. I read 
House of Mystery in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, what well, you know? What I mean, like, I feel, I feel there's a lot of, of, um, and not even bad, but there's a lot of vertical books that are self-referential to the point of annoyance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Day Tripper isn't. I, I think Day Tripper is a, a spectacular book. It's helped by the fact that Fabio Moon and Gabriel Bad do lovely art. Yeah. Uh, and again, you've got Dave Stewart colors, which are just beautiful. And it, again, this is a book I saw in black and white previews before I saw the colors. So I, I, I really had more of an impact from the colors. I was like, this has added so much to the story that I, I you know, I, I wouldn't even have thought of ahead of time. Um, but it, it's it's another one that's just. I, I think it's a great book. I, I think it's a really, really, really impressive book that if it wasn't being published a vertical, I can't think who else would have published it. And I, I think that's where vertical strengths can be. I think they, they can do like a magical realism type thing that no one else would touch. Well, I think, I think and I think they've been trying to. I, I picked up the first issue of Day Trippers because it was a buck and then it kind of ended up filtered, you know, it's half buried in in my short box so i i'll, I'll pull it out and, and check it out because i i love moon and Ba's work and i tend to like the things that they've done um, did you read um details their dark horse anthology no i didn't it's because it's it's very much of the same thing it, it's uh it's a sort of uh sad romantic magical realism type thing well, that that sounds fabulous. I, I snicker because I'm like, wow, that really is sort of the Graham McMillan wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the perfect me comic. Um, <laughs> but no, I I I I just I can't say enough good things about it. I think that it's a spectacularly good comic. Oh, good. Well, that is fabulous. Um, I will, like I said, I'll grab the first issue and and I'm running to Comics Experience hopefully in the next day or two, and I will I will pick up the others. It must only be at what issue three or three. four? Okay, three, all right. Three just came out, I think, last week. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm sort of, it's still I'm still sort of quasi tracking it. So, okay. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about two Jeff Johns books: uh, Flash Rebirth number six and Blackest Night number seven. Haven't read Flash Rebirth. Have read Blackest Night number seven. Fla- you obviously have read number six of Flash Rebirth. So yes. How does it end? In that we have had at this point a completed miniseries follow up. Uh, I would say not well, actually. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that I've really found myself enjoying the first five issues of Flash Rebirth, almost despite myself. Like, the first issue, I'm like, this isn't going to work. And then the second issue, I was like, eh. I thought they did a, I thought, I thought the, the thing that Jeff Johns does that I really like, that seems to me very old school is he is a big fan of taking the pieces that everybody else has put out on the table and figuring out a way to make them all work. Um, and that's the part that was the uh, the most enjoyable parts of the first five issues of like, oh, okay, here's where the Black Flash comes from, here's where the Speed Force comes from, here's where, you know, here's the Flash fact and how I tie that in. All that stuff, even, even in the the places where it sometimes gets a little flaky and tenuous, I'm like, I still feel like there's an effort being made and I really respect that effort. And in some points it's very gratifying where it follows through. Um, So it kind of makes sense in a way that this last issue would kind of 
almost falls short of that because everything's in place. It's just kind of the wrapping up of the storyline. And so, uh, and, and, and once it wraps up, of course, there's like six pages of trying to set up for the new series. So I, I feel like it's been completely killed by the delays. I mean, yeah. more than, more than any other mm-hmm. series, I mm-hmm. feel that it's just, I, I would be surprised if that many people were really, 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 um, excited about the conclusion because all the buzz has moved on to everything else now. Well, you know, I like, I don't really kind of care about how it ends now. Well, the, the thing that I find really impressive about flash rebirth number six is if it, if it had shipped on time, like a month later, um, you would have been very surprised at how little you cared then too, you know? Yeah. But even by that point, the series was how late, (laughs) like if if it had all come out on time, Mm Mm-hmm. Then I'm sure it would have been an entirely different experience. If only because I'm sure it also would have been pre-Blackest Nights. Yeah, but honestly, I, I, the the wrap-up of 6 doesn't... I have it on a completely different separate track from issue... Uh, from the Blackest Night stuff. I just feel, on its own story, if it had come out, you would have said, first issue, eh, second issue, okay, third or fourth issue, kind of fun, fifth issue really potentially interesting and then six issue you would have gone what the fuck just happened because i i do feel that at the point you get to sort of the flash conundrum of like okay well here comes the big dramatic conclusion which are two people running really fast next to each other for like six pages you know what i mean like it's kind of like i think that john's is i mean he knows his way around that scenario but at a certain point, I was just like, "There's not, there's not really much interesting that's going on here," and and I really think that if it had shipped at the same time, it still wouldn't have worked. I think ultimately the 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 curse of Flash Rebirth, and I I didn't pay attention to the Blackest Night miniseries for Flash, so maybe that was like super awesome. But there's very much the sense of, and maybe this is knowing too much from behind the curtain, that Jeff Johns really doesn't care much about Barry Allen. Like, he's doing lots of things to make it seem like, no, here's why you should care about this character. But it's very rote. And at the end of it, what's kind of at risk um, for the character, you're kind of like, yeah, who cares? Like, you didn't have enough in, you didn't have enough of this in the story. Like, I suppose it's hopefully it's not spoiling too much for you to make it look like what's going to happen is the reverse flash tries to kill Iris. I think I'm Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that was like incredibly clear by the end of the the, the issue before. Was that not like the the cliffhanger? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I'm, I'm going to go and kill her. Mm-hmm. Um I my problem with Flash Rebirth is unlike Green Lantern Rebirth, I feel that Flash Rebirth had to um create its own drama. Mhm. Do you know what I mean? Like Barry Allen's death left no loose ends. No right. one wanted him back. Right. Um, there was nothing to gain from having him back. Right. No, I mean, and, and right. There, whereas opposed to, there's no, there's no reason to redeem the character. There's no. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there was no drama at all. Right. Whereas you know, even if you hated Hal Jordan, you could see there is a story in what happens when he comes back to life. Well, and I think actually the thing that's really smart about Green Lantern Rebirth is uh, if you look at it, there's a tremendous amount of time spent with Oliver Queen and Kyle Rayner so that even if you're in the the thing of like, I hate Hal Jordan and he's an asshole, 
for you know all this other stuff that's happened. There's there's so much setup given that it actually has weight when it happens. Yeah, yeah. That there's like these characters that you care about right in the middle of it, and they have their moments too. And that was the thing in the Flash Rebirth. There's bit. There's so much. The Flash family is become, I think, both the strength and the weakness of the book. Because at this point, there's like, in this issue, I think there were maybe, you know, there's like 97 people running around at super (laughs) speed in the book. And I think on the one hand, that's great. On the other hand, it didn't, it ends up feeling really like if you ever want to underscore that there's a reason why Barry Allen doesn't need to be back, it's that I was still reading this issue and being more interested in what Wally West was doing or saying, um, you know. Well, I I have my whole... Um, Flash Rebirth is the stupidest idea ever because it destroys one of the more interesting characters in the DC universe, who is Wally West. Thing mm-hmm. like I'm completely blinded by that because he was the only sidekick who replaced his mentor. Mm-hmm. I'm like entirely replaced. Yeah. People weren't saying, "Oh, I really wish Barry was back." He had taken he had entirely taken that place. Yeah, and once you bring Barry Allen back. You've killed the character. There, I mean, the character is still alive, sure, but there's nothing to be done. Well, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got sequences in this where you've got two Flashes running side by side against, you know, the reverse Flash. And I'm like, this is inherently, like, not dramatic, you know? Like, the, the just the way that drama works... Six people against one guy, just to me, it always seems less dramatically interesting than vice versa, you know? That, like, I think we're just conditioned to root for the underdog. I'm like, technically, it's more interesting to ver- vote to root for Reverse Flash at this point in the storyline because everything is set up. I don't know. I mean, definitely bringing Barry Allen back, bad idea. I don't think that this series, what would have been kind of awesome at this series is if he'd run off into the Flash Force again, the Speed Force again, because he's not, you know, because all the fun facts that I liked were just about everything that's been brought up since Barry has been gone, and they just tie him into it in a really neat way, but that doesn't necessarily make me care about the character, so I don't know. Um, And then Blackest Night number seven. Which let's see if I what I can remember of it. What did you think? Um, I I've really enjoyed Blackest Night up until this point, and I think at this point I'm beginning just to be like I I kind of want you to be over now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I don't know if that's my fault or, or just the fact that it's been going on for what nine months now, ten months. Um, but. I don't know. I mean, I like the fact that it keeps on coming up with. It both fulfills and disappoints fan expectations. I like uh, when the, all the Rainbow Lanterns came together, they pretty much just pissed off the bad guy instead of defeated him. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that there is a White Lantern, but it's not Hal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I am just ready for it to be over, I think. I think it's just worn out its welcome through sheer length. Interesting. I, I was fascinated by the way that it... Um... That, that again, the the pacing gets a little off because I think you, I think you're right. I was uh, reading uh, issue seven and um, okay. Let, let me let me put this in the proper perspective. If you enjoyed the first six issues of Blackest Night, and you're prone to occasionally recreationally taking Ambien and reading comic books, <laughs> then 
Issue 7 of Blackest Night is kind of awesome because you honestly can't tell if you're hallucinating or they really <laughs> went that over the top with crazy coloring and lighting effects. Because um, there was one point where I was like looking at the spread of like just everybody sort of splooging out of the center of the page, that double page spread of, I don't know, all the all the lanterns, all the rainbow lanterns kind of like just sort of squirging out of one page. And then, and I was just like, I must be hallucinating this. Um, the 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 whole the whole thing where that that weird white box or whatever pops up that that um, the, the thing that somehow is like the origin of life or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the origin of life that gets hidden on Earth that the Black Lantern that you know that Necron then begins stabbing over and over again with his scythe. See, here's the thing: like, I actually liked that as an idea and didn't like the execution. Like, when I say it like that, oh, it's you know, it's the origin of life, it's the secret of life, and the the life force that's hidden on Earth by these small blue dudes. That sounds like a great idea, but for some reason, like in the comic itself, I didn't feel like that. Exactly, and that's because you weren't on Ambien. So I incredibly, I really enjoyed the episode, or, or let's just say, if you were the sort of person to do that sort of thing, you would really enjoy the issue. But if you go back and read it the next morning, because at some point you fell asleep and couldn't remember how the comic book ended, you would actually kind of find that it's, it's just... It's. I think part of the problem with it is it's paced really badly. Like, in this issue, you have nine million rainbow lanterns show up, you have people punching each other, and you have, um, again, this box, and he starts stabbing it. Like you said, it sounds like an awesome concept, but the execution of it is incredibly cramped and forced. Like... There's so there's too much going on in the book, and I really have to give credit to the artists for. I feel like they're drawing everything, but they're but but the pages, the pages are all inverted. Like the whole um, to me, what I think of is a very Jeff Loeb concept of like here comes the double page spread of all the good guys out or all the good guys flying out of the void or the sudden reveal of all the bad guys or. Like, it leads all the actual confrontation where, like, Johns has actually gone to some trouble to make what happens in the fights actually sort of matter for the characters or whatever, that it all feels really disposable and thrown away. Like, the the idea that you turn Lex Luthor into a yellow, uh, no, not a yellow lantern. Um, he's an orange lantern. He's the orange lantern. Because orange obviously means greed. Come yes. on. It's yeah. obvious. Of course. Who doesn't say why I'm orange with jealousy? Uh, or greed. Um, see, I can't even keep it straight. Uh, I, I just, I... It's it's a it's a moment that maybe could have worked with more space when he freaks out and begins trying to grab everyone's rings, but but as it is in the I mean you literally have like I don't know like six panels of it. It's like it's just one more event that's being buried on top of a, of another event. It's 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 the issue has so much stuff in it. It's so opposite the the at the opposite end of Bendis's like we're three issues in and nothing happens. Like this is like seven issues in, insane amounts of things seem to have happened and yet nothing seems to really have any impact it, unless somebody arrives. You know what I mean? So. Well, what I find is the whole, you know, all of a sudden there your favorite characters are now also lanterns seems 
pointless unless you start figuring it, you start counting all the spin-off titles. Mm-hmm. Because um, the Wonder Woman, I mean, Black Knight Wonder Woman has been a crazy series to read. Um, it just, it feels like Greg Rucka has literally just been like, well, Jeff didn't explain that. I guess I have to. For three issues, um, and it, it really is like the the um, the first issue isn't the first issue is just like oh look she's meeting Max Lord because we all knew that was going to happen, but then the second issue is and this is how she went from being a Black Lantern to a Star Sapphire, which you know was never really explained because mm-hmm. as soon as I read that I was like wait can't they just deputize all the Black Lanterns and then the thread is over <laughs> like is that not the answer? Um, but no, so he explains that, and then the third issue is I can't. I think the third issue is like one. It's it's one woman as a, a Black Lantern, as a as a Star Sapphire, mm-hmm. sort of explaining like what she's doing. Same with uh, Black Knight Flash is black is Flash as a Blue Lantern. Uh, the Atom and Hawkman one shot was the Atom is whatever purple lantern or whatever he is, um, and all of the books seem to follow it on like that. It feels like it almost feels like something that was done in order to make there be content for the other issues as opposed to anything that's necessary for the story itself. Within I Black totally Night, agree. Yeah, yeah. Black Knight the series, it's mm-hmm. pointless yeah. because they don't do anything. Yeah, like, I was really like, pissed that that's get, the big, big finale. Yeah, you get a big reveal and like, now they have the power. And then the next issue is like, and they're not doing anything with it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that was that was really incredibly exasperating. Um yeah, I don't know how that happened, but that really did undercut. I'm glad you pointed that out because even with the cover, I'm like, okay, this is going to be kind of cool. It's got all the new, you know, lanterns doing their lanterning thing, and then you open it up, and there's like, you know, everyone who wasn't able to get their own one shot, you know, like, oh, there, there's some weird thing where like Mara, like Mara can't stop vomiting blood or else she'll die, or I, I don't even remember. I, I was just like what what are you people doing like what i you know like thank you for explaining that because i did not follow i haven't followed the tie-ins closely enough to know that like oh okay if i was really interested in seeing what the atom was going to do as a purple lantern i could have picked up his hawkman one shot but but the i mean i think that's both smart and just shitty to do right uh, I mean, great. It actually means that there's a purpose to the one-shots and to the spin-offs. Wonderful. But if you're only following Blackest Night or if you pick up the Blackest Night collection, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> yeah, well, which is, which, is, which is the problem with these big events and collecting them in a way. They still I, haven't quite figured out I have to say, I think DC's collections of Black Knight are really fucking smart. I think the way they're collecting it is wonderful. Oh, yeah? Uh, they are... Um, so they're doing the Blackest Knight hardcover. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're doing them all in the same month, mm-hmm. which is I think is smart. Blackest Knight gets its own hardcover. The Green Lantern issues get their own hardcover. The Green Lantern core issues get their own hardcover, which makes incredible sense because... It's a, it's a parallel storyline that works really well when you read it as a one and works terribly if you read it as single issues. Uh, and it, it's, I mean, the difference is night and day, really. It's amazingly good in a one but terrible mm-hmm. in single issues. Um, and then the spin-off miniseries get two collections. Oh. Yeah, that's not bad. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. No, I, 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 I it sounds it sounds pretty sensible to me, although... Uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, 
so the spin-offs are getting two collections. Are those also hardback only to start, or are they soft covers, or how does that work? Everything's hardback. Everything's hardcover, and everything's also bizarrely the same price. Oh, even really? though Even though there's difference in page count. Yeah, everything's wow. everything's twenty four ninety five. Hmm. Interesting. I, I would think that the retailers would be pretty happy about this uh, in a lot of ways. Um, the one thing I'm really surprised about is it's coming out a month after Black Snake finishes. Or, no, that's not true. It's coming out in June, and Black Snake finishes April? March? Well, why does that surprise you? DC's normally a lot slower. Well, I mean, DC's normally... Uh, I mean, Final Crisis finished in, what, February last year, and the hardcover came out in August? Maybe right. September? Well, I, I also got the sense that the the hardcover needed a lot of rejiggering in terms of they were probably still trying to figure out how to format all of that, I think, uh-huh. right? Because there were some serious formatting steps that they had to go through to get that into a hardcover, I think, right? Oh, Final Crisis? It's mostly just recoloring. There's there's a couple of things that are recolored. There's, there's not a lot of uh, other work on it. Well, isn't that, isn't that the one with the Superman stuff in it and they had to strip out the 3D effects too, or no? Oh, no, that is. I guess I guess I hadn't really thought about that being a big deal to strip out 3D effects. Yeah, m- I, m- I Maybe it's not. Um, I would have just assumed that they had like a, a flat version already. Right, right. I, I sort of assume that, and I could be wrong, that, that you know, um, that DC is being very cautious about the speed with which they release some of this bigger stuff because retailers like Hibs generally, com- you know, can complain about that sort of thing. But I didn't realize like the hard, you know, I thought the hardcover treatment was an idea uh, a way to get around that of like here's a very sort of expensive hardcover and if you want to you know if you want the idea being that most retailers will be able to still sell their single issues because people aren't going to want to take the huge price jump into a hardcover you know and then when the trade comes out enough times pass that blah 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 but I don't know. I could be talking out my butt. That I mean the, the strangest thing I've seen about collections recently is um, this week sees the collection of Paul Cornell's Black Widow series, which finished two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah, but see, that's Marvel. I mean, I know, I, but that's that's insanely short. Yeah, but Marvel's two insane. Weeks, not even a month? I fully expect Marvel will start putting out the trades before an issues, before a series is actually completed at this point. Hey, you that's, know? that's Dark Horse's gig. <laughs> they Dark do that Horse for all, it. they do that for all the movies. Oh, that's right. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that also makes sense to me, though. I mean, that yeah, exactly. Yeah, that no, that I think it's good to have the trade out when the movie comes out. Right, exactly. But they also want to be able to have the the single issues available for the newsstand, but they don't want to short the direct market. Da, 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 da. I mean, it seems weird, but at least it sort of makes sense in the complexity of the marketplace. Marvel just seems like you know, it's the publishing version of chat roulette. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> Uh, there's what a, a horrible, reference. What a horrible thought. Exactly. That was a good topical reference. <laughs>